good morning again. I'm so glad you're with us this morning. We are going to look at the Word this morning. Um, if you're recently with us, um, we've been, over the past more than a year now, studying in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts, I'd say Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's been an amazing journey. The title is Countercultural Community, is what we're studying from Acts. And periodically, we'll do a deeper dive on a topic in that book. So this year, we began a new series, more focused, because we're talking about how does that counter community live and act? I mean, how will you know that they're really countercultural? Well, our series beginning in January this month, we started, it's called God's Way for Healthy Relationships. One true mark of a disciple of the family of God is how we love, loving well. Jesus said, they'll know me by your love for each other. So we're taking a deep dive, a study to begin the year on how to really build healthy relationships and do it God's way. Because so often we're taking our discipleship cues from Fox News, from CNN, MSNBC, political parties. They're discipling us. We are Christ followers, and we should be discipled within the bounds of Scripture and by the power of the Spirit. So we're looking at what does it mean to do healthy relationships. Now, this morning, I'm going to take a, an even more narrow focus and talk about cross-cultural relationships, relating with others different than me. Because, you know, loving people that think like me and vote like me might be easy. But what about the people that don't think, act, have the same story or background as me. How do I live and love well in that way? So this past Monday, our nation paused again to remember the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A man of God whose life until death was dedicated to being this drum major for justice about love. The dream he would preach about was actually the vision of God about love. Well, here we are, 50-plus years since his assassination, and his words still ring true that the 11 o'clock hour is still the most segregated hour in America. So my question for us, Solano, is do you believe that we, in fact, have the gift and the power from God to bring hope and healing to this broken and fragmented society? Do you believe we have the power? Now, at times I do ask rhetorical questions. And at times, I do ask for an amen. On that one, you can decide where you fall on that one. Do you believe? Well, at Solano Community Church, my brother, Pastor Andrew, and I, we believe that God has given us the power and the gift to bring healing and hope and, in fact, live out as a community what it means to love well across the lines of gender, race, ethnicity, class, age. And I believe the passage we're going to look at this morning informs us, helps us to navigate the complexities of our current situation and the pain of our histories. Because it's not an easy thing. Talking about this subject is not a fun thing. Contrary to popular belief, Black people don't like talking about race all the time. Let me just say that. We don't. I don't. It pains me 
I labor over this. And I have to get on my face and be reminded of God's grace and God's power and to be obedient this morning. You see, we look at this sometimes. I've heard my good brother, uh, he's also a pastor in Mountain View. And uh, I ask permission to talk about things that we talk about <laughs> and things that he talks about. And so he, he puts it like this. Talking about race he's found with this congregation and others is like talking about debt. Anybody ever been in debt before? Oh, this is that crowd. I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. For those of us who understand debt, uh, <laughs> There's sometimes two extreme ways to deal with debt. There's that one way of ignoring it, denial. So you want to ignore that student loan, right? Does that deal and help you with debt, actually, ignoring it? Probably not. But there's the other extreme way of dealing with debt is like obsessing with it. Like you just worry all the time about what you spend and what your bank account, all the time, you're always, you idolize debt. I found this conversation about sexism and racism, classism, sometimes has that kind of tone. Either we try to ignore it. Oh, come on now. We had a black president. Everything's okay. When are they going to get over this thing? They always talk about it all the time. Like apathy. Or there's a, this, this obsession with talking about it. And you, in fact, idolize talking about it. God wouldn't have us live in either of those extremes. But there's a place somewhere in the middle. And to me, it's like a tension. I wouldn't say balance. I found balances for rich people. Um, most people live in tension. And this conversation that we'll have today, I pray will be helpful to help you navigate again the history and the pain and the complexities of today. Jesus provides us, I believe, an amazing model and example of how to definitely bring hope and healing to cross-cultural relationships. If you have your Bible, join me in a familiar passage found in John chapter 4. And if you need a Bible, because I want you to follow along, okay, there's a Bible beneath your chairs right in front of you. This black Bible, you can use it. We'll be on page 835 in the black Bible. John chapter 4. Since we're talking about cross-cultural relationships and different practices and things, I'm from a practice culture where when the word of God is being read, the people stand. That's why I love in our flow of worship for the call to worship, when the scripture reader is reading, that sister or brother, we're already standing. I'm going to ask you to, to practice a different tradition this morning. Will you stand for the reading of God's word and join me again in John chapter 4? It's a lengthy passage, so I just ask you to stay engaged. Beginning at verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, that's his cousin, the baptizer, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. That would be 12 noon. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you don't have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the will and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, Jesus said to the, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. I want to share with you a key biblical truth. If there's anything from this morning's message that you are to remember and hold on to, it's the big idea is this, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given the gift and power of God to bring hope and healing to our historically broken and fragmented relationships in society. I'll say that again. As followers of Jesus, disciples, we've been given from God the gift and the power to actually bring healing and hope to our historically broken, fragmented relationships that we experience every day in society. The question again is, do you believe that we have this gift and power. Do you believe? I believe Jesus in this passage with this Samaritan woman models for us how to navigate the complexities of cross-cultural relationships. To help us on the journey of doing this, to have navigation, it, it is helpful to have a compass when you're out on the journey. I don't know how many of you do hikes, or get out and do some sailing, but having direction to know your have your bearings is so important. So I've developed over the years what I call a cross-cultural compass. Four points, simple, awareness, acknowledgement, action, and accountability. 
I believe this passage shows us these four directional steps. And the first step, again, on the journey is awareness. Awareness. What is awareness? It's, it's what should I be mindful of if I'm to build cross-cultural relationships? What do I need to know? There are a couple things, maybe three things I want to point out. And the first is that this is a discipleship journey. It's an intentional discipleship journey, building cross-cultural relationships. Jesus, notice in verse 4, it says, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why would Jesus have to do anything? I mean, he's God. Except for hating, you know, had to die. He had to pass through Samaria. The journey from, as the text says, from Judea to Galilee meant passing through Samaria. Samaria represented for Jews an unwanted place. They would do everything in their power to avoid Samaritans and Samaria. But Jesus modeled for us the necessity of engaging with people different from us. Like I said, it's easy to love people that's, that's like me, my people. When I go back to Atlanta and I hang with my family and my people in Atlanta, my speech becomes different. It's easy. I don't have to explain my jokes. It's oh easy. Oh, man. But my journey in my life has brought me through so many Sumerian villages and people. It's a part of my discipleship journey. I'm not doing anybody a favor. It's my growth. And you have to be aware of your own spiritual discipleship journey. This is a gospel issue. This isn't optional for being a believer. Oh, no. And many will play it like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, it's a byproduct of the gospel. No. The actual word that the Apostle Paul used, it's the mystery of the gospel. The fact that Jew and Gentile are actually one in the same family. Jew and Gentile. Now, last I checked, I don't recall us having any Messianic Jews in our congregation, right, Stephanie? This would be the Gentile people, right? Okay. So that means it's a mystery that we're in this thing. You need to be aware of that. So last, well, it was a couple of weeks ago when I first preached, I talked about emotional issues that choke out healthy relationships. This list of broken things, brokenness. This is stuff in us that hinder healthy relationship. Now, apply these same issues to a cross-cultural relationship. Defensiveness. Hmm. Low self-awareness. That's the idea that when a person is unaware and actually avoids tough emotions like fear, anger, sadness. So I put it this way. If you're not in touch with your own pain and your brokenness, there is no way you're going to be able to connect with me, an African-American man, with my pain and my brokenness. you got to be aware of yours. Negativity. Making assumptions. How often do we make assumptions about people we don't? No, that are different from us. And the fear. You see, here's the truth. Proximity breeds intimacy, while distance breeds suspicion, assumptions, fear, judgment. And the list goes on and on. You can add to that list what you've experienced in attempts to engage people different from you when men just don't get it and we fall short 
in truly understanding and we make assumptions. In Bible college, I remember sitting in the lounge with other men discussing women as if we knew. It was the craziest thing, trying to give each other advice about how to respond to the girl you want to talk to, but just talk to her. No, no, don't talk to her. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> nope, ignore her. Ignore her. Okay. <laughs> Why? Well, because if you talk to her, she'll think that you like her. <laughs> but I do. No, you don't. You don't want her to know that. Foolishness. And it's in us towards people of different ethnicities. The fear that chokes out having truly healthy cross-cultural relationships. So, with that, we have to be aware of ourselves and be aware of the journey of pain of other people. Jesus models that here. He says he had to pass through Samaria. Again, why is that a big deal? Well, this map, I did that first service. So this map of Samaria. Again, the route that most Jews would take would be to start in Judea and travel east, cross the Jordan River, and travel on the west side to reach Galilee. Because no good Jew would go through Samaria. There's a reason behind that. There's a history that Jesus understood about Jews and Samaritans. You see, this area was once considered the promised land. The united kingdom of God's people under one king. But after King Solomon died, the kingdom was divided into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Two different kings, well, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, powerful people. And they took from the northern territory Jews back to Assyria, deported them. The Jews that remained in the northern territory were soon, they were resettled in that area, other foreign nations resettled into the northern territory and they began to intermarry with the Jews that were there, creating a whole new race of people. They also took on the worship, idols, and practices of these foreign, non-Jewish, God-fearing people. And for that, the Jews despised them because of the racial and religious mix that was in their eyes unclean, dogs. So now when Jesus comes, the descendants of that history are now who reside in Samaria. Samaria used to be actually the capital city of the Northern Kingdom, but later it became the whole entire region was called Samaria. Jesus knew that history. He understood where he was going. And to go through meant something. You will need to be a student of other people. Women, African-American history, Native American history, Asian American history, Italian American history, German American history. You need to understand people. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility to be aware of others and their history and pain. The last issue of awareness is about common ground. Find the common ground. In the text, Jesus, as he enters Samaria, he sits at Jacob's well. Here's the here's beautiful thing about what Jesus would understand. Jacob, his father Isaac, and Abraham, and even Joseph were understood and revered by Samaritans. 
this new religion that Samaritans had was actually a mixture of Judaism and whatever other God. So they would observe and respect the first five books of the Bible. Absolutely. But the rest of Scripture, mm, books of wisdom and poetry and the prophets, no. No, they would mix it all and create some syncretistic religion. But Jacob was common ground. As you understand and learn about other people, seek common ground. And as the family of God, God's following Jesus' loving, we have common ground with each other. The work of Jesus and the power of the Spirit unites us on common ground. It gives us hope. With awareness, there's this need for acknowledgement. Jesus, as he sat at the well and he watched the woman approach him at 12 o'clock in the heat of the day, he could tell there was something amiss by that. She's alone and it's in the heat of the day to draw water. That doesn't happen. He understood culture. Going to draw water at the well was a communal, social thing for women to do. You don't do it by yourself, and you sure don't do it when it's hot. You go in the cool of the day so you can hang out and talk and share life together. She's coming by herself. So that would imply a little, little sketchiness with this sister. An immoral lifestyle. Yeah. All of that. Yet Jesus says to her, give me a drink. I need you. I'm thirsty, sister. Can you help a brother out? <laughs> he could see beyond and see her need and his common need and makes this humble, vulnerable request of her to give him a drink of water, knowing full well that to do that, he would have to put his lips on the cup that she drank from. So Jesus acknowledged her humanity. We, if we're going to truly build relationship with people different than us, we'll have to acknowledge their humanity. Our gospel evangelistic efforts will have so much more effectiveness if we will first see their humanity, acknowledge it before we try to speak to their souls. Jesus not only acknowledged her humanity, but he acknowledged his own humanity. Check this out. She says, excuse me, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, for water? You know we ain't got nothing to do with each other. Why are you going to come in just asking me like this, like this, blah, blah, blah. what? So here's my question. How did she know that Jesus was Jewish? I don't read in the text him saying, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me. Might I have, I'm sorry, I'm Jewish Jesus. <laughs> Could I have some water? No. But how did she know he was Jewish? Because you know why? He did not set aside his maleness and his Jewishness to engage her. He came in the fullness of who he was. He brought all of his humanity into the narrative. If we're going to engage those that are different from us, you don't not only have to acknowledge who they are, but be real about who you are. I don't need you to act black to engage me, to love me. You'll be you in a healthy way. I said this in the first service, and I was so graciously reminded. <sighs> Pastor Andrew is not with us this morning because he's away ministering, teaching, having a ball this weekend with the students from AACF, okay? Now, when I said that I was going to speak to AACF, they thought, oh, you're going to speak to the African-American Christian? No, not the African. It's the Asian-American Christian Fellowship at Cal. So this weekend, they are having their retreat. He's going in to do some teaching on one of our gospel academies called Gospel. 
So he's having a ball. Well, one reason because these, it's an amazing group of students. I love them to death. They invited me uh, actually to come back. So I went last year and I preached about the Holy Spirit, the power and the person of the Spirit. And they invited me back. Don't always happen. So this time I spoke about, drum roll please, race and culture. Whoa. You just saw a look on their faces like, that's what you're talking about for real? Oh, goodness. Okay. It was a rich time. And so I talked about the myth of the model minority. So at first service, I was told afterwards, hey, you might want to break that down. They don't know what that means. Oh, right. Can assume. Some might know. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. All right. For those that didn't raise your hand, do not assume. It's this myth created in the 60s, actually, during the Civil Rights Movement, that the majority culture in America thought, well, this whole thing, that this noise that black people are making about equal rights and freedom and, oh, my gosh, it's so annoying. Why don't you just stop fussing and look at the Asian people? They're getting along just fine. They don't have any problem. They're not making any noise. They're smart. You know, would you just be like them? They're the model minority. So I called it out. I said, how many of you, knowing that that's true, who knows? Okay, good. All right. If you could wake up tomorrow morning and that myth be gone from your mind and memory, from history, would you like that? dead silence and I would say Lord don't let that happen it's a part of your humanity it's history it's complex but I believe there's a redeeming opportunity for this myth and I told them and as I'll tell you those that are present my beautiful Asian American sisters and brothers, I need you in this conversation. I need you in this fight. This is not a black-white conversation. In the name of Jesus, God has a place for you in this conversation. You understand, you get both. You understand what it means to be overlooked in concentration camps, and you understand privilege. You have the chance, by God's grace, to be this amazing bridge for cross-cultural relationships. I need you. I need you. And unless you're willing to acknowledge your humanity, it only can go so far. Lastly, you'll need to acknowledge the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus models as he's there. He understands this woman. He understands who he is. And he says to her, sister, if you only knew who was speaking to you and the gift I'm offering to you, you would ask me and I give you this living water. Somebody say living water. Living water. What's the living water? I've preached this for years, heard it preached even longer. And so often living water is seen as eternal life. Good answer. Yes, it is. Because the text says it. Yes, the text says it's living, eternal. Hmm? Yeah, what else is the living water that Jesus is offering the woman? Say it loud. The Holy Spirit. Unless we acknowledge the role of the Spirit in this effort, in this move, it will just be in our own flesh. Because I'm a good guy and I'm smart, oh, I think I could be your friend. I'm because I'm just, I'm compassionate. No. This is a work, this is a spiritual work of God. And Jesus says to this woman, oh, the living water, 
John 7, 37 explains. 37 to 39, in case you think Brett's making that up. Uh, it's really the Holy Spirit. I'll read it for you. Turn over to eight, page 840, chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Sound familiar? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Sound familiar? Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as of yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Have you drank of the living water? Do you understand how much you need, like you need water when you're thirsty? You need the spiritual refreshing power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus understood that. He lived this life in the power of the Spirit. He was born by the Holy Spirit. He did miracles in the power of this. He was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus understood the importance of the Spirit in his life, how much more should we? Following Jesus is a tough act to follow only can be done in the spirit. Engaging people across lines of gender, class, ethnicity is a hard thing to do only by the power of the spirit. Acknowledge it. And when you do, something amazing happens to the heart. When we acknowledge, you see, awareness is this, this, this mind thing, this mind transformation that has to happen as I'm learning new things about myself and other people, their history, it begins to work on me because acknowledgement is this, another synonym for that would be uh, owning, confessing, accepting. That's a heart work. From the head to the heart, short distance biologically, but a long distance spiritually. But once the heart has been captured, Action will follow. I've been asked a million times, Pastor Dante, Brother Dante, I'm getting it, right? I read, I read, I saw the book, I, I, I read it, I saw the movie. What do I do? What do I do? Mm. It's always causing me to say, hmm, yeah. Um, so I found <laughs> what do you do? What should you be ready to do? First, learn to listen. And listen incarnationally, like Jesus modeled. Listen. It's the kind of listening that calls you to leave your own world, your own stuff, your own, and into the world of someone else, like Jesus. He left heaven and was born. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He entered our world, our experience. He was 100% God, yet 100% human. He got wearied from his journey and sat by a well. Can I get a drink? He entered to the world of this woman like we have to enter the world of others. And as we do that, we hold on to who we are, our humanity, our journey, and find ourselves suspended in tension between two worlds, two perspectives. That's how Jesus modeled for us how to listen as he listened to the woman and her story. Be ready to listen to somebody's story, to ask questions. Help me understand questions. I learned this years ago when my wife and I began this journey together and was being counseled and groomed in the ministry of racial reconciliation. Our mentor taught us this idea of ask questions, help me understand questions. Not like the rich lawyer question. Master, no, not those. The truly I want to understand. Give me a drink of water. Be vulnerable. Be ready for that. Be ready 
to differentiate. Because as Jesus hears this woman's story about her husbands, it wasn't all pretty. You know, my story ain't all pretty. You know, my story about being pulled over when I was working at Wheaton College, a police officer followed me from Wheaton almost halfway to the city to pull me over. Oh, yeah, I got some, I got some exciting stories, too, about my granddaddy, <laughs> granddaddy white, you know, who God changed his heart. Be ready to hear that kind of stuff. Jesus got to hear the pain of this woman's story about Five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband? Oh, man, what's behind that? Why? You ever wonder why she has so many husbands? Well, even for Jewish people, they were allowed maybe three. She had five, working on six. Not pretty. Scandalous, even. But I wonder how many of my sisters here have stories that we've not heard, scandalous stories of abuse and neglect. I sat last week when I wasn't here. I was with my brother worshiping, and then we went out to lunch with his family, his beautiful wife, my sister Corey, and my two nephews, and two young African-American women joined us for, for lunch. This one sister who was leading worship that morning at his church, anointed, amazing voice, and then she both of them told stories of how they'd been a part of white congregations and seminaries where they were overlooked. This one sister who was leading worship, in fact, just left the church in December because after being there two years, she realized the pastor wasn't ready. He invited her to come to help us with being a diverse congregation. So she came. She led. She worshiped. She never was asked. She didn't even know the pastor, really, after two years. To hear their story as women broke my heart and reminded me of what role am I playing now to make a way for my daughters, my sisters, and mothers in our church to thrive, to be seen, to be heard. You got to be ready for that. And lastly, after the action, there's a need for accountability. The woman in Samaria... Well, just imagine that says accountability. <laughs> I'm doing my own slides this morning. I think my battery ran out. So the, the woman at Samaria, when she receives this, when she receives the gift from God, the text says she left her water jar and she ran into the village. Come see a man that told me all that I ever did. Could this not be the Christ? And they came. Because imagine, they know her. And some really knew her. And for her to have this now, this joy, this excitement, I want to see who this dude is she's talking about. So they came. And then the text later says that, in fact, they asked Jesus to stay there. and He did for two days. He stayed in, in Samaria and he ministered. Many souls were saved. And they came and said, you know what? It wasn't because of you. At first it was, but now we believe because we've heard for ourselves. Accountability looks like community. The family of God. This safe place where you are reminded of the steps you've taken and the need to keep on pressing forward. And you have to do that in community. So now she has a village of people who now know Jesus for themselves that she can grow with. And be reminded, girl, don't give up. I know we know how you used to be, but something's different with you now. And now we know why for ourselves. Might we be the place that's truly countercultural, where people can be who God's called them to be, walk into their callings, and do it in relationship with each other? I want to end with this vision. A vision... I read this just this week, reminded of my dear brother, Mark DeMoss. He's one of the leaders in this multi-ethnic church movement. And he writes a, 
this beautiful vision of what a healthy, multi-ethnic, multicultural church looks like. He said it is one in which people of diverse ethnic and economic backgrounds will themselves to walk, work, and worship God together as on to advance a credible witness of God's love for all people. They recognize, renew, and reconcile and redeem broken relationships, both interpersonal and collective, to the place God intended them to be. They establish equitable systems of responsible authority, leadership, governance, and accountability within the congregation. They advocate and advance justice, mercy, and compassionate work in the community. And finally, they embrace the tension of sound theological reflection and applicational relevance in an increasing complex and intersectional society for the sake of the gospel. That's a lot. That's heavy. Would that be said of us as a church, as a countercultural community? May it be so. May it be so. I want to do something different this morning. Uh, typically, I would open the table right now after the sermon, but this morning, because of our subject and the heaviness and the weight of it, I want to do something from another tradition. Some of you may be familiar with this. It's like an, it's called an altar call. Now, we pray at the end of our services every week. We have prayer counselors standing around. You can go and you can pray with them. But this morning, I'm going to invite the counselors, the intercessors to come and line up in the front with me. So you guys can come up right now. They've been praying all we got here this morning at 8. We prayed through the first service, and God moved in a mighty way this morning. So I want to allow us the same space and opportunity to do the same. They'll be here available to pray with you as you're processing the message for yourself. What is God speaking to you? Where are you on this journey of awareness, struggling to acknowledge and accept? You're trying to figure out what is God calling you to action to do? And God knows you need a community to do it in. We want to be that space, that place, and the people that are committed to this. I also mentioned in the first service that this is so appropriate and timely for us as a church family. Back into this space and turning the light back on for worship has been a joy. And so the night before we had our first worship service here, that Saturday evening, Pastor Andrew called us together for a night of prayer. It was a prayer that had different tones and tenors to it. One was about celebration, like, God, you've been faithful. You've been faithful to Trinity Evangelical Free Church for years. Since 1906, you've been faithful. And we, as like the grandchild, are stepping into, even in a fuller way, into that legacy. Thank you, God. We praise you for that. But there was also a, a solemn, sober tenor that night a lament for the history that wasn't so good. You know, like I said, we got to know history. You got to know history and the pain of history. And so Pastor Andrew spoke about two watershed moments in the history of our church. Two moments that echo what we're talking about today, about racism and sexism in the DNA of our church. When he shared this with the staff in early December, I almost lost, I'm like, what? Are you serious? Yep, that's what I found, you know? I don't know all the details. He, doesn't need, he won't need to know all the details. It's complex, but it's real. And these watershed moments are now strongholds that we have to speak into and for God to break. If we're going to go forward and be truly healthy, 
we have to take a glance at the past to gaze forward. And you do that through prayer. Lament, repent. So we cried out that night. We lamented and cried and people were moved. So I want to tell you so that you'll know because you cannot change or transform what you're not aware of. So today, maybe this speaks to what you've been feeling and didn't have a word for it. Why it's so difficult as a woman to, uh, or as a person, black, brown, to like, I, I don't know if I can just, I don't know if I can be here. I can't breathe. Well, I pray that as we pray today, that you'll be able to breathe. My dear sister reminded me in first service, people need to breathe, Pastor. They're holding their breath. They need to breathe. And until you breathe, you won't be able to receive. Receive this gift from God. Receive the forgiveness that might need to be extended to you. No guilt, no shame, no judgment. So I want to invite you to join us up front for prayer. We're here. We've been praying and waiting. This might be your opportunity to have someone to listen to you and pray with you for hope and for healing. So I want to invite you now to come. Father God, we are here. We're thankful that you are here with us, that we don't do this journey alone. It's in community and it's in the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus. So will you move in hearts this morning? Will you remind them that they're loved? Will you remind them that there's a gift to receive? Thank you for the prayer intercessors and, and counselors. God, I pray that you'll move in them, give them clarity and compassion. We're here now in Jesus' name.